Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, everyone. This is Sharon Swing. Joan Kelly. Sybil Towner. Oh, we are so excited that uh, you're able to listen in today, that you're willing to listen in today. We have a treat for you. Um, Sybil uh, Towner, co-author of Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story, along with me, and Joan Kelly, uh, who is our Director of Facilitator Development. Um, Well, this particular topic of the critical journey stages in the life of faith. Um, this topic is something Sybil's going to be teaching on later this week at the Transforming Center. And we thought that you might like a little bit of a synopsis of what this is about. So Sybil, let's start out by talking about where did this model or way of thinking about the stages of faith come from? Well, the, the model came... Um from work that uh, Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick did at Colonial Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And while there are many um, uh, people who have done data and research over a very broad spectrum of people, this book is fashioned around the growth and life of people within a congregation. So it has a real narrative approach uh, and not as much of a data statistical approach. And even with that, it mirrors the work that was done by Piaget, Fowler, and uh, a number of others. And uh, a little backstory from Listen to My Life. We um, decided this, I can't remember if it was right on the spot, but said we really want to talk about this at uh, a conference that we had for folks involved in Listen to My Life. And we uh, talked about it, and at the end of that talk, light bulbs were going on, and we had people take stickers and put where they were on the circle of six numbers, one, two, three, four, five, or six. And it was incredible, the people that were at the edge of four, in four, and what is called the wall, and were able to identify why they were having such a difficult time in their church experience. I mean, it just, somebody said, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I now have words. Do you remember this? Oh, I do. I do. And they didn't, they had never really thought about it in that way. So what you were describing with the numbers, Sybil, was essentially the stages in our faith, which you're going to talk about here in a little bit. Well, let me talk about those. And then um, I've got another example of of when I used this uh, with a group that was incredibly informative as well. I love this piece of work um, about talking about the stages of faith because it's something that once it's revealed to the the model is revealed you can easily see yourself and remember what the what it was like to be in these in these various different stages of faith and what it feels like to be there and also it gives a normal it like a there's like this is normal that things change over time in our faith. Yes. And somehow or another we've sometimes get bought into a narrative that that faith is about certainty. Absolutely. There's a right and wrong, black and white, um, and uh, and that's where you feel safe. 
and it is where you feel safe in one of the stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a great place to begin, but it is not a good place to end. Oh, my goodness. And also, when, when you start feeling uncertain, then you start to feel like I'm an outlier, or I can't even talk about this with anyone, or um, just the... Can I express it? So you start holding on to something that doesn't have life anymore for you in the midst of faith. And so that is one of the reasons I love this piece of material. This is what happens to a teenager in many families. They all of a sudden feel a little bit like an outlier and... uh, and think that the world looks a little different than how they thought, and um, and uh, parents uh, do well to negotiate and give a little space so that they can keep the conversation going. Hmm. Right, and and if parents are stuck in an early stage of faith that that is that is more certain and. Um, a little bit more, you know, has hard edges, then it's hard for a kid to feel like they're going to be accepted if they express something that's outside of that. Yes. And um, to be able to model a growing faith is an incredible gift to our kids as, as, as well as anyone that's around us. Because yes. it gives them the elbow room to actually tell their story with honesty. Yes. When you think about this and when we were talking about the stages, you can look at growth in all different places, growth in creation, growth uh, in the life of a child, and there is a process, and there are processes that you can't miss. One that we don't think about, but anybody who's worked with young children and has done some reading, knows that it's important for a child to crawl before they walk. Mm -hmm. And there are certain things that get connected that become a part of the memory bank of a person to be able to do some other things after walking. So stages cannot really be bypassed. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing about the stage is you need to own the stage because you will go back to that stage. Uh, it's not a been there, done that. Mm-hmm. We keep circling back. And the poem that I like uh, from T.S. Eliot is, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Mm-hmm. So there's a knowing in a child that's very young, a knowing of God. And then that often gets lost, and life happens, and culture says things, and, and it, it buries, but it isn't really lost. It's just submerged and has time to refocus. So let's just dive yeah, let's in. Let's dive into the stages. So the first stage is called um, recognizing or discovering God. So this is the stage that really comes out of, um, uh, uh, we talk about recognizing and responding to God in your story. Well, this is this, a discovery that God is God and you are not. Um, and and we we think I'm that I'm still discovering yeah. that sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yes, that is absolutely. Unfortunately, we're not done with that one. Yes, uh. <laughs> but this is this is a big discovery in that process, 
and um, and some of the characteristics in it, there's often a sense of awe. And sometimes somebody has that experience in creation. It could be in a worship service. It could be during a prayer meeting, sometimes on a mission trip, um, sometimes in reading a book, sometimes in seeing a movie. Uh, there is no place that's off limits for God to encounter someone. And then there's a sense of need. I'm just longing for something. And there's a desire in me for, sometimes it's something more, but something that I think is there, but I anything I try to attach it to doesn't really work. And then there's a sense of awareness. I'm paying attention. I'm noticing the way people are who seem to know something I don't know. Uh, sometimes it comes at an invitation from somebody. And, uh, and really, I think that's God at work, sort of the invisible master of ceremonies, the way C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. describes it, uh, when there is a longing very often someone comes by to create an invitation that helps that longing take another step. People want a greater meaning in life. Somebody comes out of college thinking they really, I mean, want to do something with life and they can't find a job. And they just say, I I know there's got to be something more, and that sends them on a search. So circumstances and your story are always connected to it. Okay, now just want to ask you a question about this, because when we talk about stage one, the recognition of God, um, a lot of times when you're listening to people's story and you ask them about their spiritual heritage and the story and the stories of God that they were handed or how did they recognize God maybe as a child, many times people will, will talk about how they connected with God in in ways they couldn't have described then, but they they found him in nature, or they found him in the love of a grandparent, or you know, in various different other kinds of stories where they just sensed that there was something more, but they were loved. Yes, and so that early recognition of God. Some people say, okay, then there's this. I prayed the sinner's prayer piece. Right? Yes. So, what's the difference between like? having a light bulb go on uh, after someone's explained the basics of faith to you and that early recognition that there is a God and I'm loved? I think in many cases, it's the heart. Something happens where the heart and the body and the mind connect. And in the sinner's prayer, there it, it can certainly be heart. Um, but Often in many uh, churches, it can come through a communicants class. Um, it can come um, through uh, through services that do this on a regular basis, and often it begins with the head, and there is fear attached. If I don't do this, there's sort of, if I don't do this, I might go to hell. Mm-hmm. I might go someplace I don't want to go. And particularly in the life of a young child, that is very impressionable. You'll mm-hmm. have many people who share that kind of a story with you. 
Right. So um, for those that don't know, say a few words about what the sinner's prayer is. Well, the sinner's prayer is um, recognizing that I've fallen short of the goodness of God, that I have done that. I, I, have, I cannot do anything that will get me right with God, and that Jesus has done everything on the cross uh, through his death, through his resurrection, to make me right with God. And so when I admit that and ask for forgiveness of my sins, he comes into my heart and says, you are my beloved child. Now, some people would say that uh, that, that prayer is is the starting point. And others might look at it as saying, okay, I've, exp- I've been experiencing God, but someone just told me the story that helps me explain these, the sense of God in my life that maybe I didn't have words for before. So maybe it's an outward expression of an inward reality, or if it's, 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 it's attaching, like I said, a story that's more concrete with, um, with, what, with, with just my experience. Well, I think it can be uh, it can be either or, but what sometimes people do is make that the ending. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like people who get married and then they forget that now I have a marriage to make, or um, so like a one time commitment. Yes, yeah, and uh, and then there are people who don't feel that took and feel like they have to make a commitment mm-hmm. every week. So uh, so what this does, this gives a place for a known growth process. Mm-hmm. So if I've done that, what does that mean? So that really does take us, in a way, to stage two, which once I've recognized that, whether it's personally, in a group, in a church, at a camp, it doesn't matter where. Somehow I've responded to God. Yes. So now, this is a place where I need to be in a group. I need to be a part uh, of a church, a part of a small group, and this is the place where the stage is called discipleship. And usually, um, looking for someone who is a good teacher uh, who is a good discipler, and the question the begs asking, all right, now that I've done this, what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? What does that mean? And what is prayer? Um, I have a Bible, but I don't know where to begin and how to sort this through. Who is the Holy Spirit? And there just are a bundle of questions. Well, does it mean I can't go out with my friends that I used to go out with and, or that I can't do this or that um, anymore? So, uh, so a small group to be able to talk about my life, to be able to say, these are the, these are the marks of a, um, of a follower of Christ. And, uh, and a follower of Christ, in essence, is loving God, loving others, and loving yourself. And I, I love the the descriptions that you have in your handout that you're going to be using later this week at the Transforming Center to be able to say um, the characteristics of stage two are um, meaning from belonging, answers found in a leader, cause, or belief system, 
a sense of rightness and security in our faith caged at stage two is rigid in righteousness. We against them, switchers and searchers. Yeah. You know, there are people who say, mm, I don't like this group. They go to another, they, they switch churches mm-hmm. and, okay. or, or switch groups. And probably some of that is tied up in their story and something gets triggered in a group and they don't know how to resolve it. And there's a zealousness. Yes. Uh, Joan, why don't you tell us about the moving from stage two to th- stage three? Give us so, a, the transition moving points. from stage two to three, we are recognizing uniqueness, identifying gifts, recognizing contributions, and seeking responsibility. So, Sybil, tell us a little bit about that, what's going on. Well, um, now you're saying, I don't, I don't think this is all about me. And I'm beginning to see a wider world, and uh, I might have had an invitation to go into some sort of urban work or um, visit a hospital or some kind of um, some kind of work that I'm not particularly used to, or volunteering in the church um, in a way that um, I feel a sense of fulfillment. There are some people who um, welcome people when they come in and just say. Let me be at the door. Mm-hmm. I love looking into the face of somebody and welcoming them. And often it comes out of their not being welcomed well. Mm-hmm. And they and something God fills them up by their capacity to welcome others. So it can be simple tasks. It can be more complex. So you're right into stage three, which is called the productive life. Yes. And the thesis there is... Faith is working for God. So yes. We're, so we've had a recognition of God. We've we've been discipled, and now we're working for God. So yes. we're we're getting on mission here, right? And the way Bob, Bob Mulholland would say it, he would say, "We're in the world for God." Mm-hmm. So I've got a zeal. I mean, there is an energy. Just let me at it. And there are some churches that are very good at having people discern and discover their gifts through gift assessments. Um, I think uh, an assessment is absolutely valuable, but I think discovery within a group of people of someone noticing and saying, Sharon, the way you teach or facilitate a group, that is a gift. You make something happen in the room. Or Joan, the way you listen <clears throat> to someone when, um, when they're just needing to be able to share their story, that's a gift. I, I don't, that's not something I mm-hmm. see people do all over the place. And I, and I see your joy in it mm-hmm. when they really hear themselves just because they've been listened to. So that discovery of gifts is beautiful, and then deploying them. And one of the words that Janet and Robert use is empowerment. I am empowered to use that which is in me and developed. So I think coaches, whether they're in small groups, are really valuable here. Helping Mm -hmm. someone put together, what does it look like to be a small group leader? Because I think I could... I'd like to gather a group of people around and talk about these things and pray about them. And But there are some skills mm-hmm. for you to be able to do that better. Gifting always has development. 
Right. So in this one, the the energy the energizing factor of having gifts to contribute and being included in community as I exercise those gifts is the, is the best exciting part of, of the productive life. And then sometimes those particular roles that we're filling or in the church, or it depends on if the church has, has, is recruiting people to, uh, to volunteer in the church because it takes an army of volunteers to, to run a church, right? Or if they're also saying, you're missionaries in the world, um, and what does that mean to be a missionary in the world in addition to serving in the church and all? Um, so, but then sometimes there's some sticking points that, that, that happen in the midst of this as, as we, we get a little burned out. Maybe we're, we're, we find out that working for God is getting in the way of receiving grace, maybe. Right. And honestly, this stage, any one of these stages, we're talking years. We're not talking two months. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, a person can be in stage three a couple decades. Well, and it's good. It's fine. Yeah. And, and so there's nothing wrong with any of these stages. It's just that there's a life cycle to them. Yes. Right? So then when um, it says moving from stage three to stage four. So that's where you're going to lose your sense of certainty. Uh, You're going to experience faith and personal crisis probably of some kind. Um, That's probably going to be an indicator of your moving or you're feeling abandoned or or just looking for direction. So think about it. Uh, By the time, let's say, in the life cycle, and this, um, again, this is a a bell-shaped curve. So each person's story is a little bit different, but if a person flows in a in a kind of normal way, might be sort of in their 30s and they've grown up in the church, but it could go much longer if they've just come into the church when they're in their 30s, could be in their 50s when this kind of um, space begins to open up. But you've lived enough life that something is going to crack in the church or in your family or in the world Mm -hmm. that just says, what? just happened here. And and th- this space in moving from stage three to stage four has the sense of losing our faith. And actually, that's really true. It's losing the way in which your faith looked. And now you're getting to what you talked about at the beginning, the absolute core that was at the very beginning that you noted as a young child or a teen when you were often by yourself or maybe with one other person. So really you're rediscovering God. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, I think that those, those things, I remember writing, because a lot of times I, I, I journal in the front of or in the margins of books that I'm reading, um, not just take notes, but then somewhere in there I'll, I'll write a, a journal entry that is um, just reflections on where I am with my faith and how this is striking me at that particular point in time, and I date it. And um, those are the books I don't lend to people. Um, <laughs> but I remember writing in the in the front of one book, I don't know if I'm gaining my faith or losing it. Mm-hmm. So this is a time when companioning is really important. Uh, it's a little, looks a little different than a small group. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really the space in which Listen to My Life was designed. 
Uh, so it helps you look at the whole of your story and uh, and discover God in it. And it's a great um, it's a great space to engage those materials. I can share with you a story of someone who was at that weary and well-doing, and in a church structure, there wasn't a place for um, this person to stay in the, in the structure. We just have to say, I, I can't be a small group coach, so, well, I guess I'm out. But they, they didn't want to leave the church. So I said to them, and it was just because I had really journeyed in this three and four and into the wall area, and I just said, you know, why don't we just relieve you of your responsibilities, and why don't you continue to come to our huddle, and I will listen to you once a month, and let's do that for a year, and let's see what God might have to say to you. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, this stage four is called the journey inward. Right. And so it. this is where some people who may be in stages one, two, and three may call this the navel-gazing stage. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and you actually and, can and, only... And with, a, with a very yeah. judgmental tone to, the, to yes. that. And you actually phrase. can only see one stage ahead of you. Now, I want you to think about what we've done, particularly with sports, but in a lot of other arenas. It used to be in a small town that... Um, elementary age kids would go to the junior high and high school games in their town. Mm-hmm. They, they really didn't go to college games unless they had a college in their town. There wasn't TV or there wasn't the, the, the um, national level sports. But today, you move from a young kid and you're already thinking professional sport and you've leaped tall buildings and you've really leaped lots of development. Um, and that's true in our spiritual journeys as well. We are into fast, and uh, this is slow. And there's no time frame on this. There's uh, no skipping steps. No. No, well, not at all. It's almost a blessing that we don't know about the steps usually until later Right. In the journey. Um, um, Joan, do you have, when you sort of sense this stage, this moving from three to four and entering four, what was going on for you? Well, I think I was in that season you were talking about, and it, if it, sometimes it does kind of line up with seasons in your life. So, and I think the thing I noticed as you were talking about the Sybil is we're moving from a very outward expression to a very inward expression. And then I think about a time of, you know, seeking out, you know, people like yourself and Sharon and so forth, like to, like, as you said, companion through this. So I was, you know, serving and finding lots of places to serve and they were great for a season. Then you move on to something else. So I, then I realized like there must be something more, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, as I listen to you talk though, I think about the people like, what about the people who don't know? And they just kind of stay Stay in this one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, or or stay in three. Well, here's here's what you do. You uh, you you have this inner longing, mm-hmm. and um, the secular culture has popular popularized it as the midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, then you solve this inner longing or this inner disturbance or this inner calling, and you fix it with something on the outside. 
So you get a new car, you get a new wife, you buy a new house. You... If you've got money. Right. Or you work a little harder at something. Yes. Or you pick yeah. up a new hobby or you pick up a new yeah. service project. Or... And I mean, for me, uh, what happened was I had definitely bought into this idea that like, you know, what do you... <laughs> you know, the sidelines and watching the game is not part of the spiritual life. You know, the spiritual life is being on the field. And what are you going to do with this one and only life is really going to make a difference? And how can you maximize that? Yes. And um, so I found myself in a ministry job that was a hair on fire job that had a title that um, that seemed like it should satisfy that itch, right? <laughs> Only for it to completely burn me out, not knowing how to care for my soul. Um, exited that and landed at a dinner table with Sybil where I spewed my story and found myself uh, at the end of that conversation with some words to be able to describe the longings that lied beneath. And um, this journey inward and this... Uh, and all was something I could not have described because I didn't, I, I had touched into it enough to know that some people were experiencing something different than I was, that they were not on a performance track for God. And, um, and some, and this is the stage of faith where, where, where the church becomes a really dicey place because this inward journey stuff is really hard to program. Right, and most churches have no clue what to do with people when they hit this stage of faith because this, like I said, this is the place where you don't know if you're gaining your faith or losing it, mm -hmm. and you don't find a lot of encouragement in churches that want you to be productive and engaged in whatever their programs are. Right, and if they don't have a program that fits this, they don't have programs that necessarily. Many of them don't have programs that serve this particular group of people, but also they just don't know what to do with them. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's a small little subset of people quite often. It's not the bigger one. Yeah. It's a, well, <clears throat> I think it's probably a larger subset than we know. True. Right. Um, and you and I did a piece of work um, mm -hmm. that um, opened that up. But again, we sought to solve it in a church mm -hmm. in an outward uh, in an outward expression. Um, but the, the piece of this work, it needs to be by invitation. This is not uh, the church saying everybody is going to read the book of Romans and we all buy into it. This is an invitation that, again, um, that begins to ask the questions that are on the back of the portfolio of Listen to My Life. Are you seeking to discern a calling? Are you wondering what's next? Are you... Um, Do you wonder if there's something more? Right. And so, so, you're, so you're looking for an invitation. You're not looking for a class. Mm -hmm. um, and you're not looking how to get somewhere because you don't know where you're trying to get. Right. And, and even if there's a class that you could go to where you hear someone speak about this, what's really needed is to be listened to. Right. And so it's an opposite and it, and you, and it's hard to scale that kind of listening mm -hmm. work, not impossible. Um, 
definitely we gave a good run at it, yes. <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, there there actually is a church in Indianapolis, and I won't uh, give its name at this point, but um, they have, um, when she studied the critical journey at Sustainable Faith, she just said, okay, this makes all kinds of sense. And she was on the leadership staff of this church. She went back, taught it to the staff, and said, all right, we need to say what parts of our church are helping people in each one of these mm-hmm, stages. Mm-hmm. So they have specific um, sort of programs or initiatives that are dealing with stage one, that are stealing, dealing with stage two, that are dealing with stage three. And there is now a department that is called Spiritual Direction Formation mm-hmm. uh, that is dealing with this stage four. And it's no longer trying to fix somebody, but when the people come, they're seeking to listen to them. Right. And do you remember when we we, we traveled out to a uh, to a church, civil where we talked through this particular model with a staff group? Yes. And uh, and those were the conversations. Like, oh my goodness, that's why I feel so much angst right now because a lot of staff people had been stuck in stage three in the productive life piece, but inwardly they were they were longing for the inward journey, but they but some of them had expressed in the midst of that like. I have not known what to do with that because I feel like I might be an outlier or outside the the norm because what's valued so much out of especially staff people is staying in that productive life piece, right? Yes. And um and so that was part of the conversation there. Another place where I used this was in a conversation with um point leaders from it was a conference of of um point leaders of small group ministries it it across a lot of churches and we mapped out the 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 stages on a big piece of uh, paper on the wall and said we gave people uh, sticky dots that were red yellow or green and we said um, use the use the first one to describe um, where you are and how you feel about it. You know, put your own dot on there and put me on it. And then take the next set of dots. And maybe we had different colors for that set. But to be able to say, where are most of your, con- what's, where's most of your congregation on this? And how, and, and how are they doing? And maybe I guess we gave them, we gave them uh, blue dots to describe where their, most of their congregation was. And most of their congregation was in the early stages between two and three, um, you know, that, that the early stages of faith and the, in the productive life and all. And then, but they were right at stage four, after stage four, actually. And they had put many of them, their red dots, right on this line that's in this model between stages four and five, which is called the wall. And so when you think about the wall, I want to give a uh, a character. I think Peter, um, there are several characters, but I think Peter is a really good one. Um, he um, confessed Christ. I mean, he 
uh, when Jesus asked, well, first of all, he responded to come follow me. And then when asked, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the living God. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this. But he was a mixed bag. He he really, um, he's trying to be, he's trying to make it work. He's trying to be in the world uh, for God, telling Jesus what he ought not to do and and what he ought to do, and uh, and even at the uh, uh, up to the point of the uh, crucifixion, he's going to try to control it. Cuts off the person's ear, and and Jesus says, "Stop!" And Jesus speaks to him, telling him, "You're going to deny me three times." And he says, "No, I I would never deny you." And then, following that, he does. And he faces himself, and now Peter is at the wall. It is really facing who I am before God. And Jesus is the face of God. And he goes into a space of depression and says, what can I do except go back to what I've always known and goes back to fishing. And the resurrection, Jesus arises from the dead, meets them on that shore, and speaks to Peter yet again, and asks him the question, this is the question, not what will you do for me, but do you love me? This is about a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not about a performance. And, uh, and that's what we noted at the very, um, that's what we noted at the very beginning, what you spoke, Sharon, came for a young one, came out of a relationship, whether it was with creation, with a grandparent, in a church. Mm -hmm. It couldn't be named, but it was a knowing, Mm -hmm. an absolute knowing. And so then, um, then the line that Jesus spoke to him, which really is the line that moves from stage four to stage, or the wall to stage five, when you were younger, you went where you wanted to go. So he was a Christ follower, but his ego was pretty well intact. And uh, now that you are older, I will take you where you do not want to go, which for Peter was the way he was going to die. For us, Something will die in us. We probably won't have the same kind of death as Peter, but it will be something for us. And that is the journey into stage five of the outward life. So do you want to respond to that? Hold there, that yes. thought because you're you're moving right into stage five. Joan, can you tell us a little bit about the qualities of hitting the wall here between stages four and five? So as you're moving towards going through the wall, and I heard some of these things, Sybil, as you were talking, these are some of the things you're going to experience. There's going to be this discomfort. There's going to be, you know, this idea of surrender, of moving, um, of of giving up some things and not sure what to do with that. Um, There's going to be some healing. There's a lot of work going on right here. Um, There's an awareness of forgiveness. Uh, There's a closeness to God. Um, there's a, a idea of discernment. Um, Sybil, you have on here melting and molding. Mm-hmm. And then a movement towards things like solitude and reflection. That's a lot of work going on right there at the wall as I'm trying yes. to move through the wall to these last two stages. So 
Well, yeah, and and I think that the, there's there's this crisis of self and there's this crisis of faith that are combined right there that gets our attention. Right. And it's so hard, but it's also got so many gifts in it because it, it shifts our way of thinking about ourselves and God and our relationship to one another. Right. So we just, as sometimes if we see some people who have done that or read about them, Esther, I mean, mm-hmm. she faced a wall. Right. And she went into solitude mm. and came out and said, if I perish, I perish. Mm-hmm. That's a part of the expression of the outward life. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the name of stage five. Five. So the journey outward. So the journey outward is faith is surrendering to God is the sort of thesis statement, and um, and there is a renewed sense of God's acceptance. What do you think Peter felt? Read First and Second Peter, and you will have a litany of what Peter now knew and of his acceptance. It's stunning. It's a new sense of the horizontal life. So how I'm going to live here, um, um, uh, the statement um, by our dear author, um, what am I going to do with my one wild and precious life? Yes, Mary Oliver. Uh, and a sense of calling, vocation, or ministry. And it has less to do with goals and more with being present. Yes, a, a way of being in the world as opposed to the productive life stage, which is about what am I here to do? Yes. It's a way of being. So you've switched from from doing to being by the time so you get here. it's the way Mulholland says it it is being in God for the world and uh, and a deep calm um, and just a stillness um, and I think of Jesus when he calmed the storm but that sense in the midst of difficulty that capacity of knowing God with us and for us and uh, Moving through it and uh, caged at stage five, sort of out of out of touch with practical concerns, and uh, could become careless about important things. But something I would say here: um, the road is narrow here. the 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 people in stage five, um, I don't know. I, I've just um, I'm hesitant to um, sort of name. I think I'm I'm moving in that uh, arena, but um, that's our distinct desire. In yes, case. yeah, and uh, and so then the catalyst for movement and um, uh, the hero and heroines that I think of who have been in stage six. The life of love, faith is reflecting God, and so those become the people in my life of a uh, Mother Teresa or Teresa of Avila or Teresa of Lusseau, um, Henry Nouwen, but a Christ-like, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't dare to put themselves in that <laughs> space. So others would, but they would call themselves beginners, mm-hmm. beginners. Day by day, they they know their poverty of spirit, 
but Christ-like living and total obedience to God, wisdom that's gained from life struggles. So wisdom is not um, it's not teaching. You know, this is what I learned, sort of head. Wisdom is a full embodiment. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, um, it's a deeper thing. It's a connection. Ignatius put it this way, finding God in all things. Mm-hmm. So in all parts of my life, in all parts of the world that I know, in all parts of the world out, it is really uh, participating in the kingdom uh, coming. And detachment from things and stress, because most of stress is caused because I can't control it. Mm -hmm. And I'm upset that I can't. And life underneath or on top, it doesn't matter. Mm. I think I, um, when I see the purity of love of a grandparent toward a grandchild, I see glimpses of this. Yes, and I think that's what we see, are mm-hmm. our, our glimpses. And so I just want to say, I spoke with a, um, a couple yesterday who are in their 70s, and, and Richard Rohr writes about this, but he said, look, our country... They had just come back from Naples. Our country tries to make those who are seasoned in life into childish men and women, serving their own pleasures. There's nothing wrong with a pleasure or an enjoyment or a vacation. But that that is the essence of your life is a very, very sad Mm -hmm. story. And to say to them, we have a call to be an elder. Our young men and women are looking, are looking for how do I, how do I take the next step? Mm-hmm. And when they see, Sharon, what you said, the glimpse, the glimpse, this is a person who's alive. Mm-hmm. I want to get around them because there's something very deep in me that sees something in them. Yeah, and I, I, I think that when we work with people and listen to people who are in the transitions of retirement and they've bought in very deeply to the productive life piece and they don't know what's next, it's like, okay, what is my value going to be after I retire? You know, like, because they've bought into the lie that their value is their work. That's right. And then all of a sudden, if, if they don't figure out that their value has never been in their work, then there's, there's this slowly dying. I mean, I don't know what the statistics are now, but I remember hearing something quite a few years back about the number of people that die within a few years of their retirement. And I just feel like that is so sad because there's something about the lie that they've bought into, the story that they've been telling themselves that is no longer useful to them, but they don't know what the new story is. Right. And so a part of that is going back and uncovering pieces of that story. And that's part of what Listen to My Life does. I mean, it just Mm -hmm. helps you mine what is there and uncover 
a beauty and a rarity because there's no one else in the world like you. And the word that uh, of the of this stage is surrender to love. It is the work of love. Mm-hmm. I mean, it All is. All of it is. Yeah. yeah, it is nothing less wherever wherever you are. And uh, I think it's pretty pretty exciting. And it's a little piece of the journey that sort of Dick and I are on. I mean, we sort of see ourselves in the space where Jesus was walking into Jerusalem. And when he walked into Jerusalem, he was he was giving over to his death, but he was doing it as a choice. Mm-hmm. He said, I put my life down, I take it up. And so so a piece for us is putting our money on the line, our lives. I mean, where we are at this retreat center, we're, we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just don't have any other plans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's part of this is yeah. it's a journey, yeah. not a destination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you have that quote on here by Gwen Thomas, right? Yes. That um, the, the beauty's in the walking. Yes, and right? we're betrayed by destinations. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. piece of life doesn't have that. Now, something else I want to say about the this so often when people come out of stage four into this outward life, the stage, stage four once again is the inner journey, and then the wall is really facing God and and wanting Him to win. This is a battle you want to lose. And you want a new name. This mm-hmm. is Jacob wrestling with God and us wrestling with God. And when um, when you come out of that, you actually have a home space in either stage one, helping people recognize and respond to God, or in stage two, discipling people, or in stage P- three, helping people discover and develop their gifts, or in stage four, helping people journey the inner journey. And what our churches don't yet know how to do really well is to take a person in stage five and give them some freedom within the structure of the church to move and breathe and have their being. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's churches are a lot bigger than they used to be. Yes, many churches are a lot larger than they used to be. And um, yeah, they get programmatic because they have to be to be able to serve larger groups of people. And this gets really personal really fast. And that's one of the things about about Listen to My Life that is um, so beautiful that once people experience it and they've been listened to many times, people find themselves creating space for other people to enter into the same kind of process. Because I think the beauty of what Listen to My Life is, um, it takes a piece of what the difficulty is about making anything programmatic in this in these particular later stages of faith it gives people an on-ramp yes. to it or an off-ramp to it i should say right yeah <laughs> it's an more, expression of it really. an expression mm-hmm. of it and and there aren't many tools that 
that enable that kind of piece that you can actually do um, one-on-one or you can actually facilitate it with a very large group of people too. So um, Joan and Gail in the Thursday morning spiritual formation class that, that they teach, um, several years back we we did, um, we used Listen to My Life as a curriculum for about 100 people mm-hmm. and broke that down into group, you know, table groups of nine or 10. And then within that, we'd get into listening groups of, of two or three. And so we could create this being able to process your story on your own, reflect on it, share it, be listened to, and then also teach people how to listen to one another in a very, very personal way in the context of a large group of people. And there was there was a beauty to that that was there there was there was a it's not all of it but it was an it was an you know depending on how you want to think about it an on ramp or an off ramp for a lot of people <laughs> into being able to recognize where they were in their stage of life and making sense of their yes. own story and being able to sort out their story to believe um, or not believe the stories that they've told themselves in the past. And um, those kinds of experiences and to get a front row seat to watching it happen with people. Well, I'm still in this because that's just contagious. I mean, that, yes. I mean, that's so exciting to me because it is, um, it, it it's like you don't tell people the secret; they discover it, right? Mm-hmm. And and you you actually use everything in their life. Everything in their life either becomes hummus or humus or um, fertilizer um, for that which is uh, current and is mm-hmm. uh, swept in, but you. If you go through this process, what happens is you begin to be a steward of story. Mm-hmm. A snippet of a story, 10 minutes of a story, an hour of a story, but you begin to steward and value that because that is where God is present. Mm-hmm. Just in the stuff of life. Yeah. Absolutely. And that that shift from identifying myself as to what I do to understanding grace and peace as as a way of being in the world um, just takes so many edges off. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've sort of covered this. Unpacked a lot. Here. Yes. Oh, my yes. goodness. So, uh, I love these conversations. And this one about the critical journey um, and, you know, what we'll probably title this episode is um, is Stages of, of Faith. Um, this is a map of a territory that isn't often explained. It, it isn't often made tangible. And... Uh, just if you have questions about it, we'd love to hear about that. Um, we'll put in the show notes a way to get in touch with us if you want to ask them some questions. We would love it if you'd ask questions, and we could actually do a Q and A on a future episode yes, that as would well. Be awesome. um, that would just be the best. And so, mm. 
grace and peace, everyone. Uh, you're being invited into a way of being who God created you to be. Mm-hmm. And um, we would love to uh, invite you to join us in the midst of our journey of trying to figure that out, <laughs> as it is never yes. done. So thanks for joining us, everyone. This is Sharon Swing with Joan Kelly and Sybil Tomer. Oh, many blessings, everyone. Bye-bye. Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? If you've wondered any of these things before, you're ready for the life-mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com.